0: Hi, I'm Lisa Hollenbach and I'm your host this week for Teach Talks, a podcast from your friends and colleagues at Teaching Channel. Today I'm chatting with the amazing Ashley Lamp Sinclair, 2016 Kentucky Teacher of the Year. Ashley has been a National Board Certified High School ELA and Creative Writing Teacher for 12 years, but this year is serving as an instructional specialist and deeper learning coach for Fern Creek High School in Louisville, Kentucky. After a decade in the classroom, her teaching career took an exciting turn when she submitted a proposal to Redesign Challenge, an innovation project through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which asked educators to offer solutions to problems in education. Ashley's idea was Curio, an app to help teachers discover new ideas, curate them in a personalized way, and collaborate with other educators in order to grow as professionals and to best help students. Curio was selected, and Ashley created the first prototype using the design thinking process. Once Curio was born, Ashley's teaching career took an entrepreneurial turn for the better. Curio is expected to launch by invitation in February. Ashley has also served as teacher-in-residence for the Kentucky Department of Education, co-founded multiple statewide projects including kyedpolicy.org, Policy Together, and the Courier-Journal Classroom Connections, as well as co-founded a national teacher-led organization called Project Public Ed. As Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Ashley was accepted to the Spotify for Education Advisory Board and received an EF Education First Scholarship to study the education system in Finland with other educators. Prior to being honored as Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Ashley was awarded a Fulbright Scholarship to Thailand and Vietnam and an English-speaking Union Scholarship to study creative writing at Exeter College at the University of Oxford. She's a contributing writer to The Atlantic and The Washington Post, among other publications. But more than any of her achievements can tell you, I feel like Ashley is a bit of a kindred spirit and a partner in crime of sorts. Ashley, welcome to Teach Talks, and thank you for taking some time to chat with us today about the amazing things you're doing in education.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Awesome. You know, your journey in education has definitely taken you on some unique adventures. Tell us a little bit about what a typical day looks like for you.
1: Um, well, in my current role, um, I am serving as a deeper learning coach um, in a high school, which is this is my first foray out of the classroom in 12 years. So it's a little bit uh, different. It's definitely more flexible. Um, but generally what I do is um, I have a pretty cool gig and that I get to work with teachers who are interested in doing something innovative in their classroom, but they might need support either in thinking through ideas, planning it out, creating materials, finding resources, implementing it. So I do everything from brainstorming with teachers um, to co-teaching, to being in their classrooms as support. Um, It's actually, it's it's really fun. Um, I have a lot of fun doing it. So, um, and and as part of that role, um, I kind of decided that Instead, I wanted to have a real purpose to the work. So instead of hopping around from classroom to classroom around the building, um, I created a cohort um, of teachers and we call ourselves school startup, um, which basically takes a lot of the principles that I've learned through design thinking and in the startup world and applies it to classroom practice. Um, So the teachers over the course of the year have been working on... um, you know, individual kind of personal, I guess, uh, growth plans and trying out new things, taking risks, and then I'm kind of there as support. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. And
0: um, yeah, I really like it. Well, it's always good when you can describe your uh, everyday nine to five as as fun as the first adjective you use. And it certainly does sound that way and very unique for the teachers involved. And you're in a unique position in that you spend part of your time as an as an educator and part as the founder and CEO of a startup. Uh, what do you see as the most important things education and business can learn from each other?
1: Yeah, well, that's that's been kind of a fun um, and interesting journey um, over the past two years. So um, when I created Curio um, two years ago, kind of just started as this idea I had. Um, when I put my head on the pillow at night um, and it's just kind of snowballed from there into a real company that is getting ready to launch an app. Um, you know, the whole journey has been kind of fun for me because I, I'm an English teacher. I'm a creative writing teacher and and creative writer naturally. So I never really saw myself entering the business world. Um, but what I've learned is that Anybody, anybody with a good idea and enough tenacity um, can create something and put it in the hands of people. Um, And that's what's been pretty cool about the process. In terms of like merging education and business, I mean, what's been awesome for me in the startup world is that everything moves really, really quickly. Um, You know, in education, sometimes things are so slow. It takes forever to get anything done. And I remember, you know, as a classroom teacher and even now, you know, working in a school, this feeling of like overwhelming just to get anything done, to try anything new just feels like a really daunting task. In the startup world, it's like, oh, okay, go try it and come talk to me after you've done that. You know, it's just a very different philosophy of behavior. Um, whereas like in education, I feel like we have to like research something to death or we have to look at all the possibilities and there's value in that. Um, but I think there's also value in just getting your hands dirty and doing, you know, and trying it, um, and being open and vulnerable through that process too. You know, since creating Curio, when I was, um, teaching my own classroom, I was, I was very open with kids about, you know, Hey, I, I had this idea on the way to school today. Let's see what happens. And if it bombs, like, let's talk about it. And if it's awesome, let's talk about how we could do it again. I just started really making students a part of my process um, in a way that I didn't before. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that there's a lot to be learned. My, my grand vision goal is to have more teachers creating companies, creating nonprofits um, out there getting their hands dirty, you know, in other sectors. I think that's going to be really valuable. In the long run, for the profession and also for other professions um, outside of teaching.
0: Yeah, I think that that you really hit on a couple of really great points there. Because you know, in the little um, that I've worked with some uh, nonprofits myself, it's it's a very valuable experience for a classroom teacher to see how others work and to um, dip in a little bit to that different mindset. Um, because you're right, it does take forever <laughs> to do something or to change something in education. The change process is so arduous sometimes. And um, when we move to do these um, quick projects in the classroom, it, it definitely changes um, the the tone of of what we do and and how exciting the day can be. Now, a, a little while back, you mentioned uh, school startup. Tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, what is it exactly? How did you build it? And what are your goals for the teachers and students involved? Yeah, so um, like I said, I am in a really amazing school um, in that
1: there's a lot of openness um, to innovation here at Fern Creek High School that that I think is really unique um, and fun to be a part of. Um, Fern Creek uh, is a DeFore-winning model PLC school. Um, and so they, because of that, um, they have very much a growth mindset about change and moving forward and always getting better, um, which is really refreshing. So the ground was kind of set before I even got here. Um, and which is awesome. So when I got here again, like this role was kind of new. Um, there's, there's not really, you know, the principal was innovative enough to think about what it could look like, but gave me a lot of um, opportunities to create the role. So I came in and I spent really the first couple of weeks just kind of observing, you know, just kind of going into classrooms and talking to teachers and talking to admin and just being around, Um And then the the idea started to form in my head. Um, I actually do a little bit of uh, facilitation work with an amazing company called True School Studio. It's based in New Orleans. Um, And Amy Vreeland, the CEO of True School, um, they do a lot of design thinking work with teachers and admin around the country. And so um, she kind of inspired me a little bit um, doing some of the work with her as well. And so when I came into this position, the idea kind of formed about, okay, well, Again, I can pop around forever um, and help with a unit here or a lesson here, offer strategies, you know, here and there, um, or I can do, you know, create a, a cohort of people, put them in this cohort, let them share ideas and and kind of try things out together, um, and then support and facilitate that work along the way, um, and then kind of see the impact in that small section. Um, as opposed to trying to just be here, there, and everywhere. Um, So it was really kind of an organic thing that came about. So what we do um, is we, uh, there's eight teachers in the cohort right now, and basically they signed up. They're all super brave souls to take the risk from the beginning um, and try something new. They're all amazing teachers. Um, It's interdisciplinary, which is cool Um, because they're learning a lot from each other, you know, in high school, especially I had a foray in uh, middle school. So it was really refreshing to do that. But in high school, especially teachers get kind of in their silos, and they get really stuck in their content. Um, So it's been really cool for them to learn and get ideas from people outside of their content. But basically, we meet um, bi-monthly, monthly. monthly, um, And I kind of did a modified design thinking process that was kind of a Mixture between design thinking and and my experience in the startup world, and basically uh, we meet and we actually meet outside of the building. We meet um, at a bar because um, my thinking uh, that was another thing that happened. You know, experiencing the startup world is, you know, like you go out and you you get dressed up and you have cocktails and it's a networking event. You talk to people and from that conversation leads to coffee the next day, which leads to a partnership and. So I kind of wanted to get outside of the school and loosen up and that kind of thing. So we meet at a bar, you know, in the area and we, um, after school, we meet for a couple hours and whatever part of design of the design thinking process that we're in, whatever section we're in, depends on what we do. So at the beginning, we had a lot of conversations about like, why are you, why are you a teacher? Like, what why did you choose your content? Like, what is your vision? You know, what's your core why, so to speak, about what it is that you're doing here? Um, and that was kind of interesting because one of the teachers, um, he's actually not in the cohort, but I had a great conversation with him in the beginning of the year. He was feeling a little stuck and frustrated because he's a social studies teacher and he felt like all he was doing was lecturing. And it was really frustrating for him. He knew it wasn't what he wanted to do, but he didn't really know like how to break out of that mold. Um, And so we had this conversation about, okay, what is your core why for why you became a teacher in the first place? And he said, relationships, he loves building relationships with kids. Um, And then I said, okay, so what's your core why for um, being a social studies teacher? Like, why, why does that matter? Why, why do you value that? Why'd you choose that? And he said, because of the stories. And then it kind of dawned on both of us at that moment, like, no wonder you're disgruntled as an educator right now because you're in the front of the room lecturing on dates and facts. Right. And you're unable to build relationships with kids because you're in front of the classroom. So you're not interacting with students and the stories, if the stories are what your value. I mean, yeah, when you're giving a lecture, you might be able to integrate stories here and there. But ultimately, your focus has been on dates and facts. And that's been part of the frustration. So that was kind of an enlightening kind of, again, organic conversation that I had with one particular teacher, which led to kind of how the cohort, we kind of framed our entire process um, from that thinking. So each of them from there kind of decided, okay, well, what do I want to work on this year? So I've got teachers, I've got one who's working on, she felt like she wanted her kids to be more self-directed learners. Um, and we kind of rooted it in like the principles of, des- of deeper, uh, learning as well. And so she wanted kids to be more self-directed. She felt like she was doing all the work. She's an art teacher and she felt like they need me too much. They're not, they're unable to like talk about each other's work without me, um, and their own work. Um, and then I've got another teacher who uh, really wants to work on student engagement, you know, another social studies teacher who felt like he had kind of been in a rut and wanted to kind of shake things up and make everything kind of more student-centered, let the kids get there, and then he supports it with the content, so um, so to speak. So, and then I've got an environmental science teacher who wants our kids to be, you know, environmental advocates. And um, so it's just been a really cool process to see these teachers grow um, and morph, in terms of like their teacher leadership, their willingness to take risks. A lot of them are reaching out and getting guest speakers to come in or connecting with the community. Um, One of my teachers is doing a sports literacy class. She's an English teacher. She's doing a sports literacy class. And so she's already presented at conferences. She's connected with a local university to collect data. Um, So anyway, it's it's just been really inspiring for me. And it's all gonna end and, and hopefully for them. And it's all going to culminate, actually, at the end of the month. Um, So we, Fern Creek has a communications, uh, it's a communications magnet. So we've got some really talented kids here. And the kids, um, starting in the next few weeks, are going to do kind of mini documentaries on each of the teachers. Um, And then those documentaries, we're going to have what's called a demo day. In the startup world, if you apply for an accelerator, um, you've got a good idea. You apply for this accelerator. You go in you work on it, you get support, mentors, resources, so on. And at the end, it it culminates in like a demo day where you get to talk about your progress and your product and what you've done. And to a room full of stakeholders, you know, um, investors, other startup, other entrepreneurs and um, business people and media. So my idea is like, Let's end on that note, you know, like let the teachers be the face of the work that they've done um, in a way that happens in the business world and happens in politics and other entities outside of education. But so often in education, like teachers are doing all this work in the classroom, but they don't ever get to stand up and be proud of it and present it to people outside of the education world. So that's kind of how we're going to wrap it up. And I'm really excited about
0: that. Wow. Um, You know, it's. I think I hear two things. I think it's it's just a fantastic adventure and you're helping teachers break through um, you know, some really important walls. You know, as a social studies teacher myself, yeah, I've been in that trap, that cycle where you're lecturing and you're not able to connect with kids and it just feels wrong. And it's it's hard sometimes to figure your way out of that by yourself and you know, I've been in the cycle where you're doing too much for kids and are trying to figure out how to get them to be um, more self-motivated and and to produce more of their own work and they're just challenges that wouldn't have been nice to have somebody um, to walk with me down that road and uh, you know to help a little bit so you know it sounds like you're doing such great work and it sounds huge but at the same time I hear you saying that you know you propose this with just eight brave teachers and organize yeah. this on your own so do you think that um, you know the the average coach or group of teachers could, could, you know, decide after listening to us today that um, they wanted to do something similar and go ahead and take off and do that? 100%. Actually, so
1: when I was um, Kentucky Teacher of the Year, I was, I, I had a sabbatical as teacher in residence at the Department of Ed. And it was very open. I mean, it was kind of like, okay, what do you want to do? And one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to travel around the state and talk to teachers. Um, And I started every conversation with um, what is at the center of teachers conversations in your building right now? And it was fascinating. I mean, I probably had like 50 to 60 of these conversations with teachers around Kentucky and when I looked back, I, I, docu- I just took notes on all of those and just kind of what they said. And it, it might have started with, like, the school just got Chromebooks. And so they're all trying to figure that out. Or, um, you know, there's been classroom management issues because they have a new principal or whatever, whatever it started with. Common themes in every single one of those interviews was authentic relationships that they had built with other teachers in the building. So, like. You've got, you know, there was a classroom management issue in the second grade and these two second grade teachers, you know, over time became friends. And when one of them got a divorce, she ended up sleeping on the other one's couch and at, you know, two in the morning when they're, you know, crying themselves, you know, into a glass of wine or whatever it may be, they decide, oh, what if we do this in in our school? um and so they ended up like merging classrooms and instead of like I've got the you know the troubled kid this year it was like you know we both we own him like he's he's our kid and they put support around it and it was amazing what those teachers had done and it really came down to their relationship that they had built and that resonated with me because you know I've been in four different schools and what has gotten me through all of that for any kind of like issue I mean anybody who's listening, who's a teacher knows that there's always something going down in the school. Um, It's always been like Friday happy hours or, you know, or having Sunday lunch with someone and planning the week ahead. Um, You know, teachers are always going to talk shop. You put them together and that's what's going to happen. It might start out somewhere else, but it's going to come down to the classroom. And so that was kind of the idea is like, I mean, honestly, like it sounds like I've done a whole bunch of stuff, but really all I did was create the space. The teachers are doing the work. Um, And so that they really facilitate each other in a lot of ways. Um, So really anybody. Yeah. I mean, like I guarantee it's already happening. It just doesn't have like a formalized process around it, you know. So what would be cool is if you did put a formalized process around it. Um, in an authentic way I mean that's kind of been I am not like a slave to the uh, design thinking process if we are meeting on this day and we should be on this phase of the process but like the teachers really need to just like deal with x y and z like that's what we're going to do and so it's very natural um, the way we go about hand you know managing our time together
0: Right. And, you know, you mentioned design thinking a lot. Is there any particular school of design thinking where you pull a lot of your tools and your ideas from, um, you know, prefer one over the other? Is it like deep design thinking or IDO or do you have a particular no. path?
1: No, it's actually, so my first exposure to design thinking was Redesign Challenge. Um, and then from there, I kind of did my own research with IDEO and um, that, and so on. And then in the startup world, um, my, my co-founder Tariq Nolly is actually an expert in design thinking from a, from a design standpoint. Um, and so I've just, it's just been, kind of, and then True School Studio, of course, they have their process as well. It's really just been kind of emerging of all of those. Um, and I actually, over the past year, I've read and gifted this book many times. It's, um, Designing Your Life, um, uh, by Bill Burnett, um, and I'm sorry, I've lost the name of the second author, um, but they're the they're the teachers out in Stanford um, who, who work with design thinking groups. And basically it, it it's really focused more on like a design thinking mindset as opposed to like the process. And that's kind of where I am is like it's really more of about like I have this ability to like act and try things. I'm willing to take a risk. I'm willing to look at problems as potential opportunities for growth, as opposed to like being daunted by them. That's really kind of where I hang my hat in terms of design thinking is like, it doesn't matter if you are loyal to the process to me. And from my perspective, to me, it's more about um, that you have this willingness and this mindset to just kind of go forth and try things. Um, So, yeah.
0: Right. And, you know, speaking of trying things, your day job is that of that uh, deeper learning coach and instructional strategist. And in this role, I'm sure that you work with teachers um, on the different strategies that they can use to achieve that deeper learning with students in the classroom. And our teachers really love the strategies and tips that they can find on Teachers Voice, our teaching channel blog. Uh, You have a unique perspective on strategies and growth for teachers. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I kind of liken it to, um, like, this analogy with um, the home cook versus the professional chef, right? Like um, the home cook is going to find a recipe in a magazine or on Pinterest or whatever, go through the steps, follow them pretty religiously, except for here and there, I'm going to mix this up, mix this up and whatever. But generally you're going to follow the steps and then you're going to have a pretty decent meal in front of you, right? Like it's going to be pretty good. But a chef is dedicated to their, you know, their craft, right? they a chef is like works on developing their palate, you know, and works on like understanding how different flavors come together. Um, they might take a recipe and go through the process, but generally it's more about like understanding, you know, how things connect when it comes to creating a meal. And so, that's kind of the way I view, like, tools and strategies versus, you know, this commitment to growth. Um, So, for example, um, a chef is going to be really committed to that craft. So, when you've got, like, if you're a teacher and you've got strategies and toolbox, that's awesome. Like, I I mean, there are strategies that I got at NCTE my first year of teaching that I still use that are in a dusty old crumbling folder in my drawer that still are important to me and and are part of my toolbox. Right. They're in my recipe box. Um, But I think what's even more valuable is for teachers to think about how those strategies connect in a bigger scheme of things. Right. Like if if I as a practitioner um, want to be more, want to build more relationships with kids and create curriculum that facilitates that process, then, then I might, you know, I might use lit circles, which are old as the hills, but work for some people and for others, they don't. I might use that because then I get to like walk around the room and interact with kids who are talking in groups. Right. Or if I really, really, really value self-directed learning, then I'm going to find this awesome strategy on teaching channel or wherever it might be about, you know, genius hour or 20 time or whatever it might be where I can get kids like working on their own and being passionate about something they care about. Um, And I'm going to I'm going to use that technique. Um, But the bigger picture is like what I desire as a practitioner for my classroom, that vision that I have from my classroom, um, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of um, that's kind of my thinking uh, in that regard.
0: Great, great, yeah, and it totally makes sense. I love the the analogy of the the chef to the the home cook and and looking for like real true growth and student involvement in that. Um, it makes a lot of sense, you know. Um, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say too, uh, in regard to that as well, like another thing
1: that I think is like troublesome um, is like I've seen so often with like early, you know, newer teachers, particularly, you know, new teachers come in or even like me, like when you transition into a school, you feel like a brand new teacher again. And so it's like, here's the binder or here's our Dropbox folder or here's our Google Drive that we've been using forever. Do this. Right. Um, and so you're giving the materials or you're giving like strategies or whatever. But then what happens when that teacher is in third, fifth, seventh, tenth year and all they really have ever known is falling back on what we did last year or this activity that worked before or this strategy that's a good strategy. But I never really thought on a more deeper level about what it was really doing in my classroom. Um, so I, to me, like, that's the danger. Um, but I also think the potential of strategies is like using them as tools for thought, really, like using them as like um, launch pads for like, okay, like, if I if this strategy worked really well in my classroom, why? Like, actually, I really love the pinwheel discussion strategy that I, I know Teaching Channel has a video on Sarah Brown-Wesling did. And I've referred to that video, and I've used that in my classroom multiple times. Um, I love that strategy. But really at the heart of it, it, and my kids love it too, my kids are always like, can we do that again? Can we do that again? And really at the heart of it is like, it's kind of playful. You know, the kids get to take on a different perspective. They get to talk. They get to socialize. And then it makes me think about like developmentally, like teenagers really need time to socialize and talk to others. So how can I do more of that? So the strategy is awesome, but the strategy is not the meat, right? The strategy is the condiment, you know, and in the bulk of the of the the work there is like what it really means for kids in a classroom.
0: Right, right. And, you know, that's one of our, our more popular strategies. And, and I totally see why with the Um, The way that kids interact, I mean, could you imagine sitting and going from class to class and and just being totally non-social all day long? And um, I think, you know, our learning, whether we're kids or adults, is better when we do it together, when we do it in groups. Um, And we're able to talk about what we're thinking about and um, kind of, uh, you know, build learning off of one another. And, you know, that's how we grow. And that's how we challenge one another. So why not um, allow kids to experience that before they leave high school, um, you know, even even before they get to high school? Uh, what advice would you give for teachers looking to turn that toolbox of effective teacher strategies into meaningful growth and real impact? How do they get there? And what can they do to start today? Well, you know, I think a
1: part of it is, like, ask your students, you know, like, starting to, like, I think... We talk a lot about like that metacognitive part of teaching and how valuable that is, uh, at least like in like grad school and stuff and you know teacher prep programs. Like I, I remember having those conversations, but I don't know that we have a lot of those conversations like in practice because honestly, like it's hard. You're trying to get through the day. You, you're thinking about a hook and the and the bulk of your lesson, and then like you've got two minutes left and what am I going to do now? Like I just you know the bell's about to ring, right? Um, and so it's hard to find places to build in that authentic reflection for kids. Um, but I think that's really powerful and an easy thing to start doing, because what happens is, is when you start ask, asking kids like, hey, why was that? A, why was Why did you guys have so much fun doing that? Like, Why do you like that? Even if it's just like pulling two kids aside, like at lunch, you know, or like seeing them in the hallway, like, hey, you were really into that the other day. Why? Why did you like that? Um, I think then allows you to start thinking as a teacher like, oh, they liked it because of this. Um, And actually, I totally neglected to talk about this really important part of school startup, which is, you know, the heart of um, the beginning of the design thinking process is really about um, um, empathy. And so um, my teachers at the very beginning, they did a student shadowing. So an interview. So at the very beginning, that was the first thing they did. Um, is they followed a student um, all day, um, and they took notes and they had conversations with the with the student about what they were doing and why. Um, and uh, that is what allowed them to kind of grow um, and start to think about what their projects were going to be. So I think that's an easy thing for teachers to do immediately is to ask the kids. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. And I hear you saying it's a little bit more about it's not what the strategy is, it's a little bit about why it was effective and why the students like the strategy. And, right. and that's where you're going to find the success and, and be able to um, replicate experiences rather than just using the, um, the strategy that you pull out of your toolbox each time, right? Right. Yeah, definitely. And I love the idea of, um, of going with a student and shadowing a student and, and really, it really helps the teacher understand what... Um, the student's day is like. It's been a long time since many teachers have been in those seats and have experienced what a full day of school is like. And school is much different uh, today than it was um, so many years ago, and, and maybe more rigorous. Um, so you know, what is it like for, for a kid and as they go from period to period to period, and they're governed by that bell um, and inside a box. And, and that certainly should help them plan things that are a little bit more creative and innovative in their classrooms that, you know, break out of the shell a little. Now, knowing yeah. a little bit more about your educational philosophy and the kind of innovative work you're doing, I'm excited to hear a little more about Curio. What is Curio? Yeah, so um,
1: Curio uh, is kind of, so the idea kind of came from um, really the, the professional development and like all of the, you know, issues regarding professional development. And for me, in my experience, like so often, the problem of professional development is that, um, you know, I'm already like busting my tail at midnight on Google, searching for something cool for these kids in my classroom who are really into graffiti, or who are really, you know, um, into like basketball or whatever it might be. Um, and I'm trying to, like, f- I'm deep in thought about how to be better for these human beings sitting in front of me. And then I have to hit the pause button on that individual process of my own professional growth and my own development as a professional. And I have to go over here and sit in, like, this lecture because where however the wind has blown, um, that's the jargon of the day or the, you know, hot educational plan du jour and then I have to like pause the the work that I'm already doing to be better at what I'm doing to go over here and sit through something that someone else has has decided I need to learn or do. Um, And so that's kind of like that's kind of where the the heart of it came from. And so is the idea of like this this teacher behavior that's already there of like looking online for ideas um, getting on Twitter and having Twitter chats. I mean, I think I read something the other day, like of the like 4 billion tweets every every day or something. I can't remember exactly the fact, but basically teachers are like literally like 40% of that. Like, m- like a huge part of like what happens on Twitter is based on education and teachers are doing it. So Curio is kind of based on that behavior that teachers are already doing. And so... Um, essentially within the app. And the other thing is, is I am completely a Luddite. I don't like education or I don't like technology. I particularly do not like ed tech generally. Um, And so it also, it's very easy, simple to use, clean design, very fresh and um, easy to use. And so, basically, what you can do, it's a desktop app, so you're not going to be able to get it on your mobile, like, immediately. Um, But you can go on and you can discover new ideas. So, for example, let's say I'm on Curio. I'm on Facebook. And I come across this really cool article that one of my teacher friends posts. And I'm like, oh, I could use that for this upcoming unit or that reminds me of whatever. Right. So then I can take it and I can create a card in Curio and I can basically like place it in Curio. Because what happens is a lot of times if I find something cool on Twitter or Facebook, I'll bookmark it on my computer. I'll copy the link and send it to myself. I might copy the link and put it into Google, but I don't or like in a Google Doc or something like that but I don't necessarily like have a place to put it right. Particularly have a place to put it in regards to my teaching practice. So in Curio, I could find this cool idea that somebody else found and I can create a card from it. And so that gives me like the ability to curate it, to put it in a place and be able to like hold it there. Right. And when I create that card, I can then ask um, my followers, I can make it public or I can make it specific to like my PLC in my school and say, hey, I think this could work with our upcoming Romeo and Juliet unit or our upcoming, you know, um, algebra two, whatever, whatever it might be. And then I can start to have a conversation with my peers about how that could be used, um, because a lot of times what happens, at least from my experience, and I know other teachers that I've worked with is. let's say you find something cool online, you discover like a video or something you want to use. And then you might like put it in your Dropbox or put it in your Google and you like create a worksheet or create a PowerPoint or create a lesson plan around that. And then your peers, then you have a conversation with your colleagues about it, but you don't necessarily have that conversation before you make up your mind about what you're going to do with it. So what Curio does is kind of create this like tight knit space, where teachers can be in it together and not just like teachers, but like innovative teachers. I mean, that's who we're we're looking for original thinkers and people who want to be on there. And like, basically like my eight school startup cohort members, right? Like the people who want to try new things um, to go on there and discover new ideas from each other and have conversations with each other about what they're doing, and what they're trying. Um, And then, Another part is we have like, it's kind of a visual organizer. So um, we have cards and stacks as opposed to files and folders. Um, So like, for example, if you go online right now and you were to find a lesson plan, more than likely, it's going to be like a step by step process. It's going to be, you know, just a linear like do this, do this, do this. Now, a lot of teachers will take parts of that and leave other parts. Some teachers will go through it, go straight through it directly Um, either way that's not always how it works in a classroom, right? It's not always step by step, linear. So in Curio, because it is visual, you can imagine that it's more of like a canvas as opposed to like a step by step. So like if I there there might be a catalyst of inspiration, like I found this article, I found this TED Talk, whatever it might be. And then from that, it kind of grows, you could create a PowerPoint. You could Um, create files to go with it you could find link other things that you think are interesting that could connect to it Um, so it really becomes more of this like canvas experience as opposed to like a step-by-step you know writing a document kind of thing
0: great so do you think that um, you know uh, you're you're talking about um, making a card sounds a lot to me like pinning on a pinterest board and we know that teachers are already like using that so would you say that the co-creation and the um, very thoughtful collaboration that you're talking about the collaboration before the plan is what makes curio different than pinterest
1: yeah so exactly and the other part is like pinterest is very surface right like essentially it's a vision board which is basically just like if i were to have like a document full of links and they were just visual, right? Like that's what Pinterest is. So cause when you go to Pinterest, like you can it's a it's a board, it's images, you click on it, and then you can go to the website that's already there. But so that's basically the limit that Pinterest can provide. So it can provide that discovery part. That's why with Curio we say it's discover, curate, and collaborate. Because that's thinking through the process of like, what do I, teacher, at eleven PM on a Sunday night do? to plan my week ahead, right? Um, I might go to Pinterest for an idea, but then I create a a Google file or you know what I mean? Like I create a document Um, or I go on Twitter and I ask, has anybody used this, right? Um, So it's like take but you're doing that it's kind of a DIY hacking your way through lesson planning. And by the way curio doesn't also have to just be used for lesson planning. Um, We're very like hands off in terms of how teachers use it. So um, it could be like for example I have a connection with Hope Street Group here in Kentucky. They do a lot of policy work. Um, It could be like Hope Street Group fellows on there um, interacting and sharing ideas related to their various projects pertaining to policy and so on and so forth. Um, So it's very organic in how a teacher could use it. But whereas Pinterest is very surface, Curio allows you to kind of dig in and take that process that teachers are already doing and just put it in one place.
0: Mm -hmm. That sounds that sounds really interesting. And um, so when will Curio debut and how can teachers be a part of that magic?
1: Yeah, so um, I've kind of learned. This is another thing I've learned from the startup experience: is it's building an app is kind of like uh, renovating your house. Like it's never <laughs> going to be done when you think it's going to be done, which is. Fine, um, and has taught me a lot about flexibility. So, um, but the app has—we've been working on the coding and, and development and building the app itself, um, and then meanwhile, building our brand. The app itself is ready to go on a beta version. So we're going to be inviting about a hundred teachers to do some behind the team, behind the scenes um, beta testing, starting to create content in there, giving us feedback to work out the kinks. At the same time, that's happening, we're also going to release on our website um, a sign up. Um, so that teachers, uh, right now you can go to the website and sign up, but we're actually going to make it so that we're going to build a, um, a wait list. Um, so that when you go sign up, you're actually going to be placed on a wait list. Um, and then we'll be releasing it um, in increments um, as we work through the development um, kinks. So you can go on Curio's website and sign up to be on the wait list. And the other thing you can do is you can start inviting other teachers to be on it as well. Um, We're just really excited about building a community of really innovative teachers in one spot. Um, So, yeah, so as of February, um, it'll be invite only so you can start to go on and um, sign up to be a part of the invitation process.
0: Wow. Well, I certainly can't wait to see um, what Curio looks like and what those conversations can be shaped into. And Ashley, in closing, you've been using the tagline Teach Like a Rebel to talk about some of the inspiring work you're doing with School Startup and Curio and beyond. What does it mean to teach like a rebel? And what's the secret? How can we all be rebel teachers?
1: Yeah, so um, that was kind of just a natural phenomenon. But I got to tell you, it actually came from um, when you become a state teacher of the year. Um, starting in January, all of the state teachers of the year, there's 54 total including states and territories come together over the course of a year um, various times for PD, for professional development, for opportunities. It's a really cool experience. Highly intimidating. The first time that I walked <laughs> in and sat down in a room with 53 other amazing teachers. I mean, it's just like I mean, just unbelievable the talent that's in the room. So I remember sitting down on that first day feeling very doubtful and unsure of myself, Um, and I sat down at a table with other teachers of the year, and it was funny as we're getting to know each other, it's kind of like you're going around the table and you start to realize like every single one of them, what makes them really unique um, is that somewhere along the way they were willing to kind of buck the system. You know, in that first conversation, it was like, well, you know, we're really not supposed to do this, but this kid really needed X, Y, and Z, so I made sure that he got whatever. Um, And so, and not buck the system just to, like, be a complainer, you know, and be, like, a blowhard, but, like, teach like a rebel. The heart of it really means is, is that... Teachers have the real influence when it comes to education. Like, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like we're at the bottom of a hierarchy, but we're not. We are the influencers. We're the ones who are in classroom with kids implementing policy, implementing curriculum. And we are the ones who have to look a parent in the face and tell them, I'm going to take care of your kid. You know, I'm going to make sure that they learn. And so teach like a rebel really means that if something is important for kids, Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Then
1: you're going to advocate for that. And you're going to advocate through your behavior and your practice. And you're going to advocate in the way that you speak. And that might mean occasionally saying in a faculty meeting, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because that's not what's good for my students. Um, and so it's just kind of this willingness to try new things, to take a risk to be able to step outside of whatever is status quo in order to do what's best for your students, because the belief that teachers are the experts, teachers are the ones with the real influence and
0: teachers need to be the ones who, who are empowered. Wow. Uh, You know that I love that. Uh, I love the idea of the rebel teacher um, and, you know, just taking the lead uh, in everything they do to do what's best for kids. Um, So I'd love to spend the entire day talking with you, Ashley, but I know you've got to run. And I'm really inspired by the many things you've accomplished. And I look forward to seeing what the future holds for School Startup, Curio, and of course for you. And I'm sure the teachers listening feel the same.
1: Thank you. I appreciate your time and, the, and your willingness
0: to talk to me. Yes. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Teach Talks. And uh, I really enjoyed having you here, Ashley. And Thank you. For everyone listening, uh, tune in in two weeks to hear from another inspiring educator on ways to improve your practice, gain insights into the profession, or simply spark your imagination. Cheers!